You're listening to Cine Punked. This episode, Blessed are the Cheesemakers. I'm your host, Robert J.E. Simpson, sitting in our cosy little studio with Dr. Rachel Kelly. Hello. And Ben Simpson. Hello. I, I actually don't even think I have to do a proper introduction for this film this week because... There is surely nobody on the planet with a brain that is not aware of Monty Python's Life of Brian, the 1979 classic that loosely parallels the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, is that a fair assumption to make? I think you've, you've either seen the film a million times or you are definitely at least aware of the film, even if you haven't seen it. I don't think anybody's seen the film once, surely. Is there anybody that's just seen this film once? You've either not seen it or, but are aware of it or else you've seen it a million times. Let's leave a pause there, see if the audience will answer us. Have you ever seen the film just once? No, no, apparently no one answered that one in the affirmative, so there must be everyone's seen it more than once. Yeah. I mean, have you even watched this film if you can't quote vast sections of it? Ben, have you seen this film if you can't quote vast sections of it? Uh, no. No. There we go. That's one of the joys of it, isn't it? I th- see, this is the thing about Monty Python, is that it, in some ways it's become a kind of staple, but also it's, it's something that, that infuriates me that it's become an object of ridicule in itself, is the fact that for generations now people have just been quoting lines, not just from this film, but from all their films in the TV series. Yeah. Usually, much to my annoyance inaccurately which is why Ooh. i try not to quote lines particularly from this film because i don't know the lines from this film as well as i do from some of the others oh that's all right i know the lines from this film i'll, I'll quote these ones then for you thank you very much that's all right this is this is my all-time joint favorite film of ever what's the uh, other contender for that position okay well maybe two contenders for it, it was blade runner is the film that made me want to see all, uh to, to study film never heard of it i've seen things you People yeah, no, nobody's nobody's seen it. Um, and then there's also The Princess Bride, which is just such a glorious, wonderful, delightful film. And then there's Life of Brian. And genuinely, if you asked me to choose between the three of them, um, I would descend into madness because I couldn't. I couldn't pick one. So you, you quite like this film? I adore this film. Ben, where, where, where do you sit in this film? <clears throat> I rather enjoy it myself. Would you rather enjoy it yourself? Yes. It's very good to know. I, I, I'm going to be controversial. No. I, I actually don't think this is Monty Python's best work. Really? For me, filmically, Monty Python and the Holy Grail is a much far superior film to this. Wow. I fart in your general direction. Um, but probably because it's a little bit more subversive, because it's a little bit different. It's this, a little this... bit more subversive? Yeah. <laughs> How many that... countries was the Holy Grail banned in? I, I, see, I don't find... I mean, subversive in terms of its cinematic form. I mean, this is actually in many ways quite a... a Quite an easy, straightforward telling, apart from one moment, which we've alluded to in a previous show already. <laughs> uh, apart from that one moment in this film, this actually plays pretty much like a straight comedy version of The Life of Christ. Yeah. I fundamentally disagree. Like, fundamentally disagree. Support um, your disagreement with yeah. evidence, Richard. I, I'm going to pull rank here, okay? Because as, as you may or may not know, I have a PhD. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I think we should mention here. Dr. Kelly has a PhD in historical epics, of yeah. which this may be considered part of. Yeah, I mean, it's not an historical epic because it's epic. It, yeah. it makes Ben Hur look like an epic. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it's it's not an historical epic because to be an historical epic, you have to be taking it seriously. Really, I mean, I don't know if that's a, an absolutely sort of 
categorical definition, but um, it's the definition that I always work to. So there are interactions with historical epic. This is an interaction with historical epic. It's it's a biblical epic. Um, it's not doing any of the things that biblical epics do. It is, it is gently, not even gently satirizing. It is satirizing lots of what makes the biblical epic so deeply, deeply difficult to like. So, so what does the biblical epic do? Well, the biblical epic transposes modern day concerns onto the mythic past. Yeah, sorry, I'll start. I'll, 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 I, I, yeah, that, I, I just went into academies there, okay, which I want to do when I get excited. The biblical epic transposes modern concerns onto the historical mythic space, which I, I, I completely agree with you, is definitely academies and very, very wanky thing to say. Uh, I mean, I'm just but... looking at Ben at this point. Going, <laughs> like, I mean, I kind of get most of this, but I, I'm not sure all our listeners are. So right. The, the kind of the, there's, there's this huge cycle of biblical epics in the 1950s and 1960s, early 1960s, mm-hmm. and what they're doing is they are looking at modern day political um, nonsense that's going on, and they are taking them and they are kind of quietly pushing them back into sort of Roman times, Roman historical times, and they are talking about those issues in the terms and the context of Rome. Do you Um, you understand what she's saying? Uh, I'm just using you as our voice of the audience, so if you're not following it, I mean, I want to make sure that you... So basically what you have in America in the 1950s is the post-war global superpower emerging, Um, America has been historically isolationist. It has not wanted to be globally superior. It's just wanted to get on with things and do things its own way. Um, Because American-ness has been kind of created from scratch 200 years previously, they've looked to this idea of a Roman Republic and gone, that's what we want to do. We're looking for democracy. We're looking at Republican democracy. We want to be like these guys, um, kind of ignoring all the problems. So, that are so in, you're saying that in, in, in the biblical epics, Rome is, a, is basically America? No. 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 That's part of the really complicated relationship that Americanness has with Romanness. Right. In the biblical epics, there are very few biblical epics that are set in Republican Rome. Most of them are set in Imperial Rome. So Republican Rome is the Rome that um, precedes the rise of Augustus Caesar in 30 BC. Pre-emperors, basically, yeah. Sorry? Pre-emperors. Pre-emperors, yeah. So there's some kind of titular democracy going on there, um, which is deeply, deeply problematic, and it's nowhere near as idealised as like this sort of new American state is trying to make it when it's looking to it as a, a model. But... Most of the biblical epics are set in the time of the emperors and they are seen as, uh, Imperial Rome is seen as this site of excess, of um, militarism, of authoritarianism, of um, uh, par-mad, um, uh, psychotic emperors. Um, and crucially, they have um, this non-Roman other, which is usually the new Christianity trying to find its feet in the Roman world. New Christianity is representing America. It's representing America pushing back against this this kind of British affiliated imperialising force, oh, okay. and that's what's going on in these in these uh, imperial epics. I mean, you see over and over and over and over again, the imperial Romans are drawn from the ranks of the British theatrical greats, the non-Roman others. You know, the slave army of Spartacus, which is one of very few films to be set in Republican era Rome. Um, you, you, played by uh, Kirk Douglas um, and you have the likes of you know, Ben-Hur, Charlton Heston against you know, the Roman uh, Imperial so that is that is what's going on with um, the, the, this biblical epic Oh it's definitely not what they do in this 
it's so not. Now, there is, there's a lot of contemporary concerns being mapped onto the life of Brian. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're definitely, 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 like, obviously they say this as well, they are interrogating and sending up religious extremism. Mm. Um, it was, apparently it was more extreme even in the, the, the originally filmed thing where I hadn't realised that the guy from the, uh, the Judean People's Front... Otto. Otto, yeah. That's an interesting character. I hope we'll talk about him. But they, they are obviously putting some kind of, of um, modern day concerns onto it. But it's in no way is it the same um, dynamic going on. And it's just, you know, it's, 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 it's a biblical epic, but it's also not a biblical epic. But anyway, I just love it. Stop now. <laughs> we don't often get to see Rachel this animated and so enthusiastic. This is about my her. thing. This is my thing. And it's my favourite film. And it's also my thing. Yes, you're looking at <laughs> I'm just wondering where to go from that because that's so heavy and a lot to unpack. Yeah, there, there's quite a lot. lot well, let's there. talk about what, what happened with the film. I mean, it's it's a film with an extraordinarily troubled history. Well, I mean, it's it's troubled to an extent. Um, I don't think it's nearly as troubled probably as, as, as some films might be. I mean, the, 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 this is a film which has garnered a certain reputation because of the way the audiences responded to it because of the way the critics the way the councils responded to it back in 1979 so funny it was banned in Norway banned in Norway banned in Ireland um, you know there was lots of allegations why was of it banned in Norway blasphemy I think yeah it's pretty much are every- they heavily Christian um, the, the, up there so blasphemy laws and, and sort of the stance about anything does that go with any religion specifically Christianity um, particularly at that time, it was a much bigger issue than it would be today, and that's across many nations. That's why it was banned in Ireland for a long time as well. Yeah. Um, the, the the general attitude was that that this was was not allowed. You couldn't be critical of of, of Christ, and the, and, and it's, it is in no way critical of Christ. Well, the, the perception has always been yeah. that this is a parody of the life of Christ. And any time, whenever I first encountered this film as a teenager. And we talked about it to, to like adults, you know, particularly Northern Ireland. I mean, the, the perception again was that this was a film that was mocking Christ and therefore, you know, in inverted commas, blasphemous. Um, and that's the line of resistance that you met rather than actually watching the film and interrogate it. There is a great um, BBC uh, interview that was done with yes. John Cleese and Michael Deeply Palin, Malcolm Mugridge and Bishop, whose name I can't remember, for uh, Friday Night, Saturday Morning, which was a, a TV interview strand. Could have been, yeah. Um, sure. And and they basically argued the case about the film, but Malcolm Mugridge and the Bishop just, they've been to see the film that afternoon and they just see it as a mockery of the life of Christ. And you have Michael Palin and John Cleese who point out to him, Christ appears in this film twice. Yeah. Once as a baby. Yeah. Right at the opening um, uh, with the, with the priests and the, the with the three, three wise men in the manger, and yeah. then very shortly after that, doing the Sermon on the Mount, yeah. and Christ reads the words from the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, at no other point do you encounter him in the film. You 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 hear reference to him with the leper, you know the leper. Uh, the, the, sorry, the ex leper. Yeah, confirming that Jesus is performing miracles, miracles. as per the Bible. Uh-huh. Yeah. It says you know uh, <laughs> then the only line that subscribed him, which I'm pretty sure isn't in the Gospels was uh, whenever Brian says gives him the donation says he says oh, oh half a denarii yeah, there's, like, no, there's no please and some people said that's just what he said yeah. <laughs> you know that is it I don't think that's in the gospels yeah. but apart from that everything else is, is, is pretty much as the bible it treats Jesus with a huge amount of respect yeah, yeah. one of the things that, 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 that they said um, 
during the production process of this film, originally the title, uh, <laughs> the first, one of the first <laughs> titles they came up with was Jesus Christ, Lust for Glory. <laughs> this idea about doing a, a, a biblical kind of parody. Um, but they all started looking into it. And Michael Palin's diaries are actually quite good on this because... Um, they, you know, he's republishing the conversations that they had at the time, and they all decided that the after Holy Grail they wanted to do something that was historical. They quite liked dressing up; it was good fun. They saw potential in the Christ story, but also they started looking into Christianity and everything else, and they start writing sketches and ideas around it. But they realized that actually, in terms of Jesus, there's very little there that they wanted to interrogate or, or, or to do. They actually found the more fertile material and the more interesting people were everyone around them. Yeah. Um, there is a great idea. They were originally going to do it about the 13th disciple, like a fifth gospeler who basically kept on turning up to everything late. Um, there's a there's a sequence that that got thrown out where he's basically sitting there while Jesus is walking on the water behind him and he turns around and he's just missed it. <laughs> he just n- always kind of misses all the important events. Yeah. So he's there, but he's not quite catching up with it. But then to have somebody else whose life kind of runs along the same path as as, as Jesus does, um, actually works really really well mm-hmm. because a lot of the stuff we know those of us who have encountered Christianity. Uh, in any way, shape, or form, and, and certainly in this country, um, you know, it's something that we we it's hard we, to we'll escape get, from. Yeah. We get all taught at school. It's yeah. part of it was growing up. It was part of our curriculum. Yeah. It may be different in other nations, but for us, it was something that was bred into us. And the same over in England for many, many years. So you're familiar with a lot of the stories and a lot of the ideas. So everything seems quite quite familiar. Yeah. But as they said themselves, it's like when you start looking into it and you start actually digging around the historical research, some of this other stuff is absolutely fascinating. You know, like people who focus on the idea of the crosses at the end. Mm-hmm. This isn't just something that happened to Jesus. John Cleese said it in that in that interview. If you think that it's just Jesus that this happens to, that prints, paints him in a very different light to the idea that this was something that they did regularly on a daily basis to hundreds of people. Sure. Well, the, <clears throat> if you're looking at it that way, like, uh, how would you explain the two guys that were also crucified mm-hmm. along with Jesus? This, uh, you know, I, I it's mean, not just Jesus. Like, no, it makes, I, mean, I think it actually makes it much more human to know that this is something that happens to absolutely everybody that, that crosses the Romans' lines. And that, that, that is quite an interesting observation. Now, I, I don't want this pod to get bogged down too much in the religious aspects of the film um because i don't think there's too many to be honest there's not i'll say there's not i mean it's much more of a a commentary on on room yeah you know and uh, and and humanity's kind of blind adherence to well almost mass hysteria as well i think Mm -hmm. like just following anything yeah yeah um the sort of the search for answers the easy answers yeah um i I've, some of some of the, the 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 ways in which they approach the idea that you know humanity will latch on to just about anything that seems to 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 sort of pose an easy answer to the big questions. It's you know it it's played for laughs. Of course, it's played for laughs, but that's because it is they they've taken this the essence of the idea and they have made it supremely ridiculous, but only by tweaking it ever so slightly. Mm-hmm. I mean, the nothing about that sequence in which Brian is, is forced into sort of proselytizing accidentally and then ends up being followed as the Messiah. Nothing about that is particularly exaggerated, is the thing. I mean, that's kind of what human beings do 
when they get an idea in their head and they won't be sort of post uh, put off that idea and i mean it's you know it's taken to its its most ridiculous conclusion but um there's nothing fundamentally over the top about any of that sequence which is beautifully observed and also quite chilling if you look at it in that light i, I mean it was something that, that was done um on a fairly great bit just about articulate myself. It was something that happened on a fairly regular basis back then. I mean, you got to remember that this is a point in time where the a lot of the communities around the, the Jewish nation are looking for a possible Messiah. So, I mean, that's not that unusual. They're desperately looking for signs. Not that that ever happens today, of course. Um, so the idea that you would have a prophet coming in, and there were other prophets, there were other false messiahs that, that, that existed at that time. Um I just love the fact that the whole film is based on a misunderstanding. Yeah. I love the fact that the Romans are allowed to be sort of the silent commenters as well on the craziness of this, you know, the, 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 the hysteria of the Jewish people and looking for the... Because you don't really see that. And again, you don't really see that in the biblical epic. I mean, I think if today, if people have seen the biblical epic of set in Roman times, it's probably Gladiator where... Um, some of the Romans are sympathetic and our hero is a Roman. So I think if you look at the kind of the, the, the background of historical epics that the Pythons would have been mm. encountering in the cinema, it's very different. Rome is always performing other. There's no sense would we be allowed to, to sort of sit with the Roman um, perspective on this. But that, that's, that's seen at very close to the beginning where... Um, <laughs> stoning Jehovah, 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 and this you see the two Roman um, guards just look at each other and just roll their eyes and shake their heads. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we're with them on this. What's just happened is completely nuts. Um, it's extremism, but you know the Romans aren't much better. The Romans themselves have got all sorts of their own issues going on. So everybody's just their own sort of fo- type of dysfunctional here, mm-hmm. and it's dysfunctional rather than being these guys are definitely wrong or these guys are definitely right um it's dysfunction it's sort of more you know perfectly benign everyday run-of-the-mill human craziness Mm -hmm. um played for laughs look i don't think it ought to be blasphemy just saying jehovah (laughs) making it worse for yourself making it worse how could it be worse I think for me, part of it is that this is just typical stock and trade for Monty Python. Like they love poking fun at bureaucracy. Yeah. Um, they love the ridiculousness of rules. Uh, like the, I think a lot of John Cleese's parts are very clearly, you know, you can spot the bits that John Cleese had written because that's the sort of thing that he always does. Um, you know, that it feels like a Python commentary on, on, on what should have happened. It's not, not, not out of touch with what else they're doing. But for me, it's more streamlined than their other stuff. I mean, I think this is why I don't get me wrong. I mean, I love the Python stuff. Um, I love uh, Holy Grail. You know, I, 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 I do. I like the other stuff that they're doing just fine. 
but it's a bit more episodic. It's a Python sketch, strung to another Python sketch, strung to another Python sketch. Oh, this this is the straightest thing that they yeah. have ever done. This it's, is this it's is a, the most an absolute, you know, direct narrative mm-hmm. all the way through. Just apart from that one time where he falls into a spaceship, that's pure Python. Do, do we want to talk about? This? I mean, you've mentioned it now. Should we talk about the? Spaceship? Let's talk about the spaceship. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, spaceships were, you know, well known in in ancient Galilee. Um, People were forever falling into spaceships and having massive space battles with UFOs. There are descriptions of UFOs within the Bible, so it's not that uncommon. Okay, Mm -hmm. well, you you would know better than a terrible heathen like me. Ah, well, a bit longer of an education. Um, It it is the one moment of complete bizarreness in the whole thing. It's Um, the most Python-esque moment, I think. Do you think? Do you think, Ben? The spaceship scene? Mm Mm-hmm. Does that strike you as being Python-esque? I just thought it was complete randomness. So, okay, you've used a word that exists within the Oxford English Dictionary these days. Does it? Python-esque. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? Absurdist comedy. Okay. But absurdist comedy very often with a little bite to it. It's quite focused absurdist comedy. They're picking fun, as you say, at something to do with the establishment very often. Not always, I think. But that's not what that, that sequence with the... That's not. That's not, no. that's not. So actually, by your very definition, that is not absurdist comedy. That is not Pythonesque. That is actually the most unPythonesque moment in the whole film. But it doesn't have to be focused to be Pythonesque. It just has to be absurd, surely. Um, I'd say absurdist comedy is not enough to say it's Pythonesque. Because yeah, there's plenty right. of other absurdist comedies. We we've done shows recently where we talked about Casino Royale. We talked mentioned the goons. Um, I mean, those are much more absurdist than this is. I mean, it's referencing Star Wars, isn't it? Um, isn't that because they were filming on? He definitely well, they're they're, they're filming in Tunisia, mm-hmm. uh, where where part of Star Wars was filmed. He Brian is dressed not dissimilarly to Luke Skywalker. Mm. You know, it's. it's there's a similar vibe to that um, although I don't remember Luke just being picked up by aliens quite in the same way not quite in the same way no. I mean not from falling <clears throat> off a Roman tower and accidentally landing in the cockpit of an alien spacecraft I think it's a moment for Terry Gilliam just to have some fun because yeah. Terry is much more restrained on this than he is normally I was, um, there's not a lot for him to do sort of is there a reference to like uh, Yellow Submarine or something um, in, in what sense because it's a big yellow spacecraft that looks like a submarine. Mm-hmm. Quite possibly. I mean, I've never given that thought. I was thinking about Thunderbird, but uh, one of the Thunderbirds when I was watching it earlier. Uh-huh. Um, oh, four, isn't it? I think so, yeah. It housed in Thunderbird 2. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it definitely had that little vibe. It could well be a reference to Yellow Submarine. It would not surprised me we know that George Harrison was involved with the film yeah. and appears somewhere although I couldn't spot him when I was watching it earlier um, yeah it, it's quite possible uh, would not surprise me and it seems as valid a reference point as anything else but I think the aliens are just an excuse for Terry G to have a, a you know an experiment yeah because unlike Holy Grail where he co-directed with Terry Jones this time it's Terry Jones is the one that's directing and, and, and Terry G is doing a bit of production design stuff uh, doing a little bit of acting, but he's not really, not as involved. Yeah, sadly, I say sadly because I love Terry G's stuff. Oh yeah, um, I think it would be a very different film had he directed it. Mm, it also would be a very different film if John Cleese had got his way and, and, and been Brian. Brian. Yeah, very different film. 
He wanted to play Brian. John wanted yeah. to play Brian. He really wanted to do it. He wanted to take a lead role because he hadn't really at that point. Yeah. Um, and he'd been doing other stuff and just felt that he wasn't being tested, I guess. Plus, he, he, you know, John and Graham Chapman tended to write together. So John had uh, a lot of experience of what Graham was like. Graham at that point was still in the throes of alcoholism. Um, you know, what during the writing of this, he would drink six large gins a day during the writing process and just become a complete mess by the end of the, any any session yeah. and um was incapable i mean he was a horrible drunk it had caused them massive problems on holy grail and some of the outtakes from that you can see graham just has not a fucking clue where he is what mm. he's doing mm. he he is um a mess it's great i love arthur um but Graham is not in the best of states. I believe that he, he, he actually sorted himself out for this one. He he so badly wanted to play that role that he dried out completely. He, he was the onset doctor for that. <laughs> you know, he I mean he's a medic he was, he a, was medical a medical doctor. Proper, yeah. Um and sadly didn't stick. As far as I'm aware. To what, the non-drinking? The alcohol, yeah, the alcoholism. A, a difficult, difficult relationship yeah. with it. But I mean, like he, he was he was a drunk. John thought he would probably do a better job and was more reliable. Um, Mike did some writing with, with Graham and realised very quickly that actually there was a problem. Um, but but Graham did, did pull his act together and mm. he's great. I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine John as I think it's impossible Brian. to imagine John Cleese as Brian now. It's so iconically Graham Chapman's role. Mm. Um, funny to think it would have been John Cleese's penis that we saw then for the rest of <laughs> indelibly etched onto our, our eyeballs. Or maybe we wouldn't have seen it at all, you know. Yeah. Graham's a bit more of a, 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 a little bit less inhibited, a bit like Terry Jones. But, I mean, that <laughs> shot, without that shot, I mean, it's part of the, the the hilarity of that is just like, holy shit, there's his cock. I mean, you're just not expecting it at all. And then he's just standing there naked as the day he was born. Um, and without standing there, tackle out, that, that whole sequence just wouldn't be the same. No, and then we get to see Judith. Yeah. Um, although, you know, interestingly, she has her breasts covered up. It's just... Her her minge that's on show. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and just I I don't know. There's something about that representation of our bodies within that that little sequence. Um, so go we thing nod to Adam and Eve maybe. Ooh, <laughs> that's good. I like that one. Yeah. Um, like the idea of the innocence, mm-hmm. quite possibly. Yeah, and then it's, I suppose if you take then Brian Brian's mum um is is sort of the according to the public is is you know the mother of God. Uh, and so I guess that she's she's uh, God, yeah. essentially. Then her telling them off is it like it's God in the Garden of Eden, possibly. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the that uh, sort of pantomime backwards and forwards between between the her and the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Oh no. Oh no, she didn't. Yeah, yes, she did. Uh-huh. Uh, that, that whole stick that's. Show, show, the, the show is the Messiah. Yeah. There's no Messiah here. There's a mess. <laughs> no, no, don't think you can get around me like that. He's not coming out, and that's my final word. Now, shovel. No. Did you hear what I said? Yes. Oh, I'll see. Like that, is it? Yes. Oh, oh then you can. But not one second more. Do you understand? Yes. Call me 
yeah it, it it's one of those great great moments but i think that their crowd interactions are often a lot of fun because you've seen it as well in holy grail with the, the scene with the dunking of the witch mm. and there's a lot of stuff that gets played on within the group mm. and there is that kind of wordplay and, and and you know there's somebody who's sticking something out and 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 it happens again here in several times in the film uh the first one is the stoning with all the the ladies pretending to be men with their fake beards yeah but also what i love is you've got the pythons pretending to be ladies pretending, pretending to, to be, be men <laughs> yeah <laughs> And Eric, to be fair, looks great as a woman. I mean, you know, when, when he wants to be Loretta, I'm going, yep, yeah, I can see that. With your long flowing locks and your good looks and your youth, yeah, shit. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, but but that that's so brilliantly played as well. And, and But equally, I think they have got the greatest use of crowd scene in the history of cinema. Oh, it's I mean, fantastic. You're all individuals. Yes, we are all individuals. I'm not. I'm not. I mean, it's just so absolutely categorically what a crowd scene was made to do. Mm. Um, but, you know, you wouldn't have known it until they did it. You watch those scenes as well. You've got Terry Jones right at the front of the crowd. So obviously he's directing as well, but he basically, like a lot of the crowd didn't speak English. Mm. And, and he's just showing them what to do. So whenever he throws himself up in the air and they're all laughing and rolling over, yeah. t- Terry Jones at the front just laughing. Oh, yes, the sequence release Brian sequence. Sequence, yeah. Sequence. Yeah. It is sequence, yeah. not sequence. I was getting very confused there. <laughs> the release Brian <laughs> sequence. Um, sounds like you've said it wrong. That, that part. Um, uh-huh. I was hearing about that like there was a interview mm-hmm. that I heard um him talking about it I think it was on uh on BBC okay um it was uh obviously it was done before before he died he was yes, talking one about can't, one can't do those things after <laughs> yeah like I don't know how long uh-huh. ago it was done but they played a snippet of it and they were talking to him about you know him directing mm-hmm. Life of Brian and then he was saying what was like what was the most memorable part it was um, that was it mm-hmm. for him you know because all these uh, native people who didn't have you know really understand what, what he was saying mm-hmm. but he was like right uh, interpreters tell them to just copy what I do mm-hmm. and then he falls on the floor waving his legs in the air laughing and all and then they just do it you know that he's I- brilliant I mean that that must be so infectious as a performer to do that, and and Terry clearly has no inhibitions yeah, at he, all. He doesn't care. He really doesn't. I mean, I I love his sequence as the hermit. Yeah, um, <laughs> just sitting there. Like, Squash my foot. Hello trees. Hello sky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm alive. But it's just seeing him rush off in the nip with yeah. just the, this beard barely covering yeah. his crotch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it's just sheer enthusiasm sheer physicality of it mm. um you know like for me this is why it's such a joyful performer to watch and somebody who who really was happy to not always take the limelight he was happy to stand a, you know stand a little bit further back like he, he directs this pretty well yeah there's a few shots i think are a little bit clumsy here and there but like this is a pretty solid piece mm. um and i always forget that there are only six of the pythons yeah he doesn't have the same visual creativity as terry gilliam no nobody has the same visual creativity as terry gilliam this film doesn't want visual creativity this film wants the material to do all of the heavy lifting um and i mean i would watch terry gilliam 24 7 i i adore his work i'm really glad he didn't direct this 
Yeah, it would have been uh, a very different film. I think Terry Jones gets good performances out of his actors as yeah. well. I mean, he's able to empathise as a performer yeah. and, and, and you get some good stuff. And I think each of the Pythons gets their moment to shine in this. Mm. Yeah. You know, uh, um, and there's some fantastic material. Yeah. I mean, if you if you had to list your favourite characters from this film, I think all of the Pythons would be covered. Probably, yeah. Mr. Cheeky. Um, uh, Pontius Pilate, Reg, obviously, um, the, the the jailer, the mad jailer, <laughs> um, Brian, um, the Virgin Mandy, they're all there. Mm-hmm. Without without all of them, there is no film. No. No, and, and it's, a, it's a cast that's supplemented by a few additional faces as well. There's, yeah. a, there's a few people who get to play other additional roles, including um, the, the only Python appearance of Spike Mulligan. Yes. He just partly wandered up to the set he and was, then wandered off again. <laughs> he was he on was a holiday. something else. He was on holiday yeah. uh, with his wife for a couple of weeks in, in Tunisia and... Um, the, the, he knew the Pythons. The Pythons knew who he was. They were huge, huge fans, understandably. And um, basically one day they managed to cook some on set and, and, and they did the stuff. But, uh, yeah, the story is that basically they, they did his sequence and he looks completely baffled <laughs> in most of it. Although that's a very spike way to look anyway. Um, but then they, they basically broke for lunch. Oh, and, and, you, and then he pissed off. He pissed off, <laughs> basically got bored, went off somewhere else. So they never did any close-ups or any, any publicity photographs of him. Um, so he's like a like, little secret cameo almost. Yeah. But it's it's a nice little touch. It's it's uh, it's almost like a nod that says that this is the the passing of the, the you know the the baton in yes. a way from 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 the goons down to Python. You know this is how it goes. Is that you have that? I mean, and Terry Jones will later work with um, the young ones. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they work with other people, and it just keeps on going in that way. This is this sort of thing. But they were all very very pleased, apart from John Cleese, who apparently found Spike somewhat sanctimonious. Oh, okay. Which is understandable. I mean, this is a guy who uh, <laughs> again. This is all fresh in my head because I was just looking through Mike Palin's diaries this morning. Um, John talks about how uh, Spike basically was, you know, go off on all these environmental campaigns one minute, and the next minute he'd be shooting his neighbours with pellet guns for you know <laughs> coming into his garden. <laughs> it just couldn't reconcile those two things. I mean, Spike was also somebody who would complain about world. Um, population increases whilst he had like six children or something and a number of them were, were illegitimate and sort of like kept quiet about it i mean he you know he, he was well adverse to to repopulating the earth himself yeah you know people are are contradictory by their very nature this is not a a, a show for for spike passion um but yeah it is a fun 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 film with some great satirical pieces yeah uh just seems to have terrified everybody um, that that was connected with the the financing and the distribution of it. Ultimately, yeah, it does seem to. Do you, know, do you Ben? Do you know anything about the, what happened with this? Um, no. So it was difficult at first to get funding for the film. Uh, they were doing it piecemeal, so getting bit by bit from different people, um, and then they had a deal whereby EMI uh, decided they were going to fund it. And everything was okay. And then EMI backed out of the deal. <coughs> Literally two days before they were due to fly to Tunisia. Wow. Yeah. So they, they just basically walked away and everyone was absolutely livid. Um, and then the producer, Dennis O'Brien, went around trying to chase up more people. And at some stage, George Harrison comes on as the saviour. 
We've talked about George Harrison and his interest in, in these people before. Yeah. Um, so just as he'd been involved with the Ruttles, George comes along for this one. And he, I think, promises them uh, a million pounds to get the film finished. Isn't uh-huh. that three million? Uh, three We need to double check the exact figures. Yeah. But he, he offers them basically the financing to finish the film, uh, basically to make the film. He, he uh-huh. sets up handmade films. As a result of this? To, to finance this film, to, I, to make it, because he really, really... Terry Jones calls it the most expensive cinema ticket in history, because yeah. the, the reason he does it is because he really wants to see the film. Yeah. That's it. I mean, he, he likes the idea of it. He wants to see it. Fair play to him. So yeah, he puts absolutely. It when you're a Beatle, you can afford to do that, yeah. I think, is the <laughs> lesson. pocket Make me a film, Pythons. <laughs> so that's what they do. Uh, I mean, and this is... In terms of the film industry, it's quite interesting, because there's a period in time where a lot of these rock stars are getting involved in the financing of films. Uh, Led Zeppelin, I believe, I think from memory, they're involved with one of the films as well. Oh yeah, that, that rings of, a bell. One uh, of the Python I films. think it's one of the Python films. They certainly were involved in some film production. Um, the, obviously, George Harrison was involved in Hamilton Films, set up his own film company. Um, you know, the, the, the Who ended up making a series of films as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were doing it. Partly it's tax loss. To be fair, some of it, um, but because it's like a really interesting additional point of revenue, yeah. Um, and this is is just a, a, a strange sort of little world. And it, this film isn't just a film. I mean, the, you can look at it as a film, but it also has the ancillary stuff. There's a soundtrack album, which is slightly different because it's got additional dialogues and sequences with with the crew. And there's a book. You know, like these things exist in multiple platforms. That yeah. was how they promoted these things. It's not just one body of work yeah always look on the bright side of life got (coughs) re-released about oh many many times 25 years ago was it was i I seem to remember it on top of the pops in the 1990s eric idol getting Mm -hmm. sort of um was it cream spray cream um sprayed into his mouth to to bleep out the shit from it Nobody else remembers this, just me. I remember them being on top of the pops very vividly. Um, uh, was, that's how they I, got around the, the bleeping. I don't remember any that, any any squirty cream. Yeah, squirty cream, squirty something anyway. But it was a can of something. Oh, stop it! It was a can of something, and they spread it in his mouth to bleep out the shit. We were all thinking it. I was wondering how they would do it, and that's how they did it. No, I had it on single. What was it? Life's a piece of. Yeah. When you look at it. That's it. Yeah. I mean, these days, I think they'd probably get away with it on top of the pops. But, you know, in the early 1990s, you just didn't swear oh, at that time. People are singing about much worse stuff oh, aren't now. They just, yeah. Oh, listen to you two. Oh, <laughs> going on. These oh. days. Oh, all about the grounding and the, all that stuff. <laughs> Bloody old man. <laughs> um, Excuse me? Like I said, old man. Um, Don't you oppress me. I wish to be known as Loretta. Well... Okay, right, let's talk about that little sequence. Yes, let's talk about that sequence. Why are you always on about women, Stan? I want to be one. What? I want to be a woman. From now on, I want you all to call me Loretta. What? It's my right as a man. Well, why do you want to be Loretta, Stan? I want to have babies. You want to have... Babies? It's every man's right to have babies if he wants them. But you can't have babies. Don't you oppress me. I'm not oppressing you, Stan. You haven't got a womb. Where's the fetus going to gestate? You're going to keep it in a box? 
Because in many ways, I mean, I, I, I sort of veer between whether they are punching down, but I don't think they actually are. I mean, obviously, um, gender fluidity and the idea of somebody being transgender is known about in the 1970s, but it's certainly not a hot button issue at all. And it certainly wouldn't be looked at with anything like sympathy. And yet they go there. And I think it's quite progressive. I I agree. I mean, they are, you know, Reg is is being really quite anti, but that's Reg. Reg is just a bit retrogressive in general. Reg, we are not supposed to agree with on most things. Um, And it's only really Reg that's going, what are you talking about, Stan? You can't be Loretta. Everybody else is like, well, okay, logistically, you can't actually be physically female because we are in sort of pre-medical science terms. We we can't do that right now. But there's no reason why we can't call you Loretta if you want to be Loretta. And we will fight for your right to be known as Loretta. Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's a couple of observations there. One, uh, first of all, it, I mean, gender transitioning had been happening at that point. Yes, um, but on a very, very not on scale. Not on the sort of scale that it would be now, but it was something that was picked up and talked about. There had been a book, the name of which I can't remember, um, that came out at one point in the early 70s that talked about one of somebody's experiences in b- doing the transgender conversion um was it, the gender was conversion. it surgically possible at that point to oh, transition yeah. Surg- oh okay yeah, it was uh, the the uh, i mean again bring it back to spike wally stott one of the the guys who worked on the on the goon show um transitioned later on in life okay and uh, then so by the time they do the, the versions of it in the 1970s that he's become a woman you know okay. so like it, it was stuff that that did happen it was something that was picked up by the tabloid presses at the time that it was talked about like it was a story i think the difference between then and now is that we have a proliferation of media and sources and everything else. So a lot more stories, a lot more coverage. Back then, you didn't have to have as many stories, but they would still take up an awful lot of coverage. And they would stand out because they, they seem more unique than they are now. But the I think that's sort of like a, you know, tongue in cheek, maybe also because, mm. well, you go by the Bible. Yeah. They're saying that's not okay in the Bible. Yeah. To a certain degree. Okay. But the Pythons are saying, yeah, it's fine. Um, That's an interesting take on it. Yeah. I, I think mean, there, there is an element to it where there's a, a, a sort of a naive idealism in their acceptance of Stan as Loretta. And I mean, I don't think Judith is a particularly, she's a character that we are particularly supposed to look up to her as being a bastion of, of reasonable thought. She is definitely very idealistic. She's very impassioned. But but equally, we are supposed to see what she represents as being fundamentally right. Mm. Um, well, I think the other thing is, I mean, for me, the logic of this is, again, the logic of the, that whole conversation is, again, very Python-esque. Um, I, whilst it's a, a more frivolous point I mean the, the, the dunking sequence in Holy Grail is a very good example of the logic about you know okay so what burns apart from which is wood wood <laughs> what does wood do float on water what else floats on water duck so if she weighs the same less than a duck she weighs the same as a duck she's, she a must, she's, she's made of wood which means she's a witch yeah. I'm not a witch I'm not a witch but there is a very, I mean, when you, you sit and you listen to that, there is a logic there that is very, very clear. And that same logic, whilst it it's it sort of, it's in, in a way, and certainly from a 21st century perspective, yeah. it seems much less bizarre than it probably did in 1979. Yeah. There is actually a logic that says, look, okay, 
it's not your fault that you don't have a womb, but you can still have the right to want to yeah. have, have children, yeah. even if you can't actually give birth yourself, which is no one's fault, not even the Romans. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, and and therefore, like, there is a logic there that makes just as much sense. And it, it both seems surreal and preposterous, particularly, uh, you know, whenever you bear in mind the era that this film is set in. That medically, this is not something that's going to be possible. Well, medically, it's still not possible for um, male to female um, transitioning people to, to give, give birth. birth yeah. We still, we're still not there. Yeah. Um, but it's still their right to want to be, yeah. you know, and, yeah, and, and to that's, be recognised as female and to be to outwardly um, have the attributes of a female body. Uh, as they inwardly have. So I, I think it's both forward thinking and also very typical. It, it's amazing as well how well it has stood up to the test of time. I mean, it it really hasn't dated, think- which in some ways is quite depressing, um, because in many ways the, the the commentary about the religious extremism is as relevant today as it was in the nineteen seventies. Because uh, I mean, I think for me, part of the reason that it stands up so well is because it's a period film and it's set very much in the period. They haven't done the thing where all their period films are done where they they put they a look lot like of, yeah the nineteen seventies. They look the nineteen seventies, yeah. or they adopt a lot of modern idioms and they stick them on top of them. I mean, a lot of the language. It sort of seems to work okay. There's a little bit of Roman, a little bit of Latin in there as well. Oh, that is one. I mean, I, I had, to, I don't know about you guys, I had to study Latin at school. Now, I, I would I, welcome I the chance to do I, it now. I studied <laughs> ancient Greek later in life for fun. But um, at the time, I hated it. I was so bad at it. Mm-hmm. And see that whole sequence, you know, Romanes, eh, and Domus, people call Romanes, they go to the house. I, I, uh, it just felt like I was back in the classroom. And in fact, the first time I saw it, I probably was still studying Latin. So mm. it was like shivers down my spine. Everybody has had that Latin teacher. Everybody at some point in their life. I haven't. Okay, everybody who's had a Latin teacher has had that I, I, Latin I, I, teacher. I think the line there you want to say is, I've not. I've not. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, anyone who's, who's studied classics will recognise that. Uh, that is definitely a situation that, 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 that's there that conjugating the verbs and everything else. Oh, and God, how confusing it gets. Um, there, there is this. There is this sort of humour that is identifiable to those of you who've had certain kinds of upbringings and educations. Like this is picking on the stuff that they know and that's familiar it's like with. Private sort of a little bit, but also it's, it, I mean, it's it's that grammar school education. I guess it's also the 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 process of the authority figures. I mean, these are things that they're very recognisable. You see it through every series of Monty Python. You mm. see it in every one of their films. Yeah. Um, there is nothing that's that that seems particularly unusual in any of those. But it's all particularly brilliant whenever you get it um and i mean that then leads on to this weird situation the, the situation with the the with the protesters with the fact that you know they are ultimately being brian is being manipulated by them to do something that they're not prepared to do themselves which is typical of most leaders isn't it you know they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll lead by by not example by, by hiding away yeah um, it's like why he didn't go down into the tunnels because because he's got a bad back. Yeah. <laughs> Solidarity, brother. <laughs> Solidarity, right? Um, although weirdly, that made me think of like things like space. Watching that sequence again, you know, there, there's something like that that you could just picture them going through that process, and and, and but then this is the influence that these films have on on other films. Mm. We use this as a reference point. In, in terms of our humour, it, it still is voted very highly um, by people who vote on on films, and its satire still works. Yeah. You know, the one thing I really like about this um, is Brian. 
I hate the Romans. I hate the Romans. And then whenever he gets caught, but I'm a Roman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I'll just completely flip so my true. whole stance on things just to get out of here. Just completely human reaction to yeah. it, though, isn't it? And I mean, in a way, that's very much what I suppose this is where a lot of it's played quite straight. Yeah. And as much as they're using humor, that that's quite a thing that would have been done at the time because in order to survive within that environment, when you've got an oppressive uh, regime that's come in, you will, to a large extent, shut your face yeah. because you, you, you want to survive. Mm. I mean, all, of all the ways you don't want to die, crucifixion's pretty high up on the list as well. But it's not that bad. It's a doddle. It's a doddle. It's a doddle. <laughs> <laughs> um, Can we laugh about crucifixion? Is that acceptable? Well, they already did, so it's it's, it's not on us. Yeah. Well, I don't know. They're, we were laughing at them doing it, so I mean, I think uh, it's all right. I do love that song, though. Uh, I mean, at it, 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 the, the end, of the, which is now used for so many yeah. funerals. Mm. But Good I, again, Chattons. I think that's how that song should be used. I mean, it is. That's the context in which it's used in the film is very much about ah, fuck it, we're dying anyway. Sure, why not just enjoy it? Why not just look on the bright side? So it makes perfect sense to me to use that at funerals. I, mean, I, I have to say, I've never really felt about it so much until this week. And it wasn't even watching it because I, had, I had, hadn't even watched the film again until it came into my head. Um, some some other stuff going on in my life just had me really down. And suddenly, for some reason, I don't know where I started uttering the words of, of the song. And... It cheered me right up. Yeah. My gosh, I thought, yeah, do you know what? This is exactly the right attitude to have right now. See so if everyone could have that attitude. Yeah. yeah. You know, listen to the word, the lyrics of that song. Very, very simple. I mean, and, and, but so effective. And, and again, this is Eric Idle's genius as a, as a songwriter. I mean, he, he writes some... Eric is very good with his words. Yeah. Um, some of his sketches are amongst the most wordy. And whilst he plays Cheeky Chappies brilliantly... And irritatingly, hmm. um, you know there is there is something else that's there within his stuff and his own cynicism, which comes through in everything. Yeah. Um, sometimes works out. But again, I think the genius of it as well is ending the film in that way because I mean I remember watching it for the first time and I mean love it was love at first sight with that film. I just couldn't believe I'd found a film that worked so well for me on so many levels. But watching it for the first time, I was kind of blindsided by the ending. Hmm. I wasn't expecting Brian to die. But equally, how else do you end that? And if Brian has to die on the cross in order for the film to narratively come full circle, mm. how do you tonally um, sync that with the rest of the film? Well, that's how you sing Always Look on the Bright Side of the Life mm. of Life while everybody is being crucified to death mm. and end it there while they're still alive, singing. Um, nothing's too bad yet, but it's definitely going to get grim. But, you know. Always look on the bright side of life. I think this is where the, the moment with the, the spacecraft actually does work in the film's favour in that it makes it slightly more unreal mm. and that allows you then to go into that sequence without feeling too heavy because mm. otherwise that becomes... If, if, if you didn't have the, the, the sequence with the spacecraft, essentially everything else you're seeing is actually just about believable. Yeah. Pretty much up, up to and including the crucifixion and Otto and the Suicide Squad, uh, and, and then you'd be left with them and the tapping toes of the the, the corpses on the ground. Mm. Um, 
I, I, I actually I, I have a, a publicity still from the film. Not a publicity still. Although I don't know. I don't really know what the origin of this photo is, okay. but I have it on a poster anyway. Um, and it's uh, Graham Chapman and Eric Idle on the cross, but in long shot, so that you can see that they're actually standing on the ground with their trousers around their ankles, <laughs> with just only their arms up on the cross. And it's just, I, get, I mean, it, it, it reframes that sequence for me as well, because it's just, yeah, that's a fundamentally upsetting way to end the film I think you're absolutely right the the absurdism of the, the spacecraft allows you to distance yourself from, mm-hmm. from actually the horror I, I've that. always yeah so one of the things that's kind of always bugged me watching this is that and this is my brain kind of just trying to rationalise everything and taking me out of the, the, the escapism is I can see that they're all standing these little platforms on the cross with their arms held up by these ropes and I just always thought like that it's gonna take you couldn't one it's gonna take you two days to die because you're just hanging there and you starve to death or something. But watching it this morning it's the first time I've ever watched it, I think, in high def. I don't think I've ever got to see it in a, a cinema screen. And they've got nails hammered into the hands. Have they? They actually have the nails hammered in. Right. So you don't see them hammering the nails in. You don't Thank hear the screams God. of them doing it, but they are when they're standing up there, they have nails in the hands. Do they? Uh-huh. Wow. Honestly, this is really this dark. First time I've ever noticed this. I have seen this film many times, but I've always watched it on resolutions and qualities that just didn't allow me to see this. But they definitely have nails in the hands, or most of them do anyway. So, again, logically, if you watch that and you come to that sequence and you can see them standing there like that, that is going to be a harsh, brutal way to end. And, and that's not going to feel comfortable. It does take that bizarre surreality of the spacecraft, which isn't. I, I still insist is not the most Python-esque moment of the film, um, but it serves to allow everything else to happen and to work, and for us to be able to accept this as, as a film, as a, as, a, as a kind of comedy. Um, which is, you know, I mean, I'm assuming there's more chunks that have been cut out for for whatever reason. Um, well, what is the most Python-esque moment of the film for you then? <laughs> arguably the Romanus A and Dumb. Do you think? I'm, I'm wondering, is it maybe the stoning for me? Because I mean, it's the Pythons dressed up as women, dressed up as men, which is so very, very them. Ah, uh, and that one also, I mean, that, that sequence you love, Ben, with the, them out in the courtyard, with uh, Brian's yeah. mum at the window. Yeah, yeah. great. You know. That, I also like the, the very start, you know, the, when the wise men come in. <laughs> and... Um, they're like, but this is our savior, and like, um, no, he's not good. And then they're like, but we brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And like, well, why, why didn't, didn't you, you say, say so? Like a bomb, my. And then they sit down. and It's like, do you do this to all? But nope. he's our Lord, aren't they? <laughs> and then they go out. And then about two, well, two seconds later, you see them in the background looking at each other, and then they're like, right, right. And they all go back in again, uh-huh. take all the stuff off her, and then push her push over. Her over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, and then she slaps really the baby. Postpartum woman. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I like that. And, and I also like the the way that, they, that you then presented with Jesus. It's yeah. just like, I mean, actually, in many ways, it is so reverential. Yes. Yeah. Because this is how you see Jesus in any iconography from certainly from Catholicism, a lot of a yeah. lot of Anglican churches, with the three of them at the major with the white lions. man, white woman, halos, ha- hal- white, bright bright white halos, yeah. donkey sitting there, and there's the three wise men just off to one side. It looks yeah. like a Christmas card. Yeah, it does. Well, apparently, um, the two fellas that had the big 
um, argument with uh, Cleese and Palin. Yes. On, um, apparently, at least one of them, and possibly two of them, were 15 minutes late to the screening. Ooh. So that what they saw was... They missed probably both of those they scenes. They missed both of those scenes. Yeah, without which... I mean, it's, it's, not fundam- it's not in any way disrespectful of Christianity, but you don't see... The, the fundamental sort of baseline respect yeah. mm-hmm. with which the film begins. Um, it's, it's interrogation of reactions to Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's everything else. Yeah. How blessed are those who hunger and thirst to see right prevail. They shall be satisfied. How blessed are those whose hearts are pure. They shall see God. I mean, if if you took, if they were saying that, I mean, and this is the thing, and I guess it's where actually maybe the, the, the theologically speaking, uh, then the, you know, the, it's a little bit close to to the nail. Um, oh, um, it's not Brian that says he's God. Or he's not. He, Brian never says he's no. the Messiah. It's other people. Yeah. And this is the very thing. There's that, only that, one time he says. All right, I am the Messiah. Like, that, right. that, that's exactly what the Messiah would say. Yeah. And then he'd say, all right, I what am the Messiah. What chance does that give me? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, it was, I mean, it's the same thing for Jesus. Jesus never says that he's the son of God. That's yeah. the whole point is that other people, you know, I am who you say I am. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying it, you're saying it. <laughs> and you can kind of get why uh, if you're a, a theological thinker, if you're a Christian who basically isn't comfortable with thinking about it too much, that just rams home for you the fact that, that that potentially everything you've thought about is based on a misunderstanding yeah um which is quite i mean what i what i think the film does do in that sense is is it makes you think if you've just accepted all that stuff or rejected it it makes you think about it yeah well it's one of the pythons i forget which one says it's not blasphemous it's heretical Mm. because it's not taking the piss out of Christ or God. It's taking the piss out of the interpretation yeah. um, and the sort of the programmatization and the the, the, the the scripture that has flowed from yeah. from but a conception of God. I would say Jesus. the Holy Grail takes more piss out of God than Life yeah. of Brian. Well, if he definitely does. Yeah. Stop groveling. You know what I mean? <laughs> like uh, Life of Brian seems very... Yeah, respectful. Respectful. Would I, th- be I think the word. it's just a classic case of mistaken identity, really. Oh, I think it's, it's people a, it's wanting a, it's a ru- to see it as something that it's because it is challenging. It's fundamentally challenging to articles of faith. I, it's not blaspheming, but it is asking you to question articles of faith. I, I, I like Ben's take on this now. We're, we're likening this to a Hitchcockian wrong man scenario. <laughs> okay. Mm, Life Brian is a Hitchcockian opus. There we go. There you go. Um, that's a good place to leave it. It's a fantastic <laughs> place to leave it. We, we, I think this is one of those rare occasions where all three of us are in agreement that this is actually a pretty good film. Fabulous film. It's Go an see amazing it. film. Go it's see it the four best times. Film, uh, <laughs> Nine in, times. Yeah. See it. See it. Just watch it twenty four seven for the rest of your life. You won't regret it. Thanks, Rachel. You're thanks, welcome. Thanks, Ben. No, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> I've been Robert J. E. Simpson. You've been listening to Cine Punk. You will find us on the interwebs. We are on social media. You'll find us on Twitter and Facebook as Cine Punk. We're also on www.cinepunk.com. Our Instagram is Cine Punk Film. 
And if you are listening to us for the first time, I hope you enjoyed. Uh, you can leave us a review on iTunes. You can also subscribe via your favourite podcast supplier of choice. We've got lots and lots of stuff in the back catalogue and we've got lots of plans for the future as well. So do feel free to interact with us and share us your thoughts. And uh, maybe you don't like Life Brian. We'd like to know why. Maybe you do like it. We'd also like to know why. Uh, but please don't send us videos of you quoting it because we get enough of that. Um, I, I just do that anyway at them. Until the next time, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Consider the lilies.